Good morning, everyone. Thank you again for your patience and your ability to improvise on the spot. Um, this is a wonderful reminder for me and for all of us that worship and services are things that we do as an act, not as a performance, and it doesn't have to be perfect. But this is this is how we are and who we are together. To reintroduce myself, my name is Leela Sinha. I am a Unitarian Universalist community, entrepreneurial community minister. Um, I live and serve in Portland, Oregon. I recently moved from California. And I like to give people a little bit of a heads up. Some of you have seen me preach before that I have a kind of a spoken word influenced um, preaching style. So I often go faster than people expect me to. And if I'm going fast and the words are coming fast, just let them wash over you. That's how it works. And the ones that you need will kind of filter out and settle on the bottom and the rest of them will just wash away in the river and that's okay. Thank you again for having me here. Another shooting. Another handful of people dead, but what does it matter? Does it matter? How should it matter when death comes? When death comes by the thousands, what's one more? It hurts to look. It hurts to look away both sides now. What does it, what does it matter? We must be calm now and rational. What does it, it's just people. We are so small, the world is so large. Surely it can spare your child. They're so small. Send them down to Hades town. Let the 16 and 15 year olds break their child backs in construction. Hard labor builds characters. So do shooting drills, bomb threats, climate change. No, you can die on it any moment. Memento mori. How else will you live? Just stay safe here. When they came for everyone else, we still believed they would not come for us. We believed we were they and above it, we are above nothing. Least of all the ravages of human fears on mutual care, mutual aid, generosity. You gave it work, did you? Okay, but what did you give up that others might live? In December, 2022, I moved to Oregon. I could not afford California anymore. Truly, I could never afford it. I hoped it would help me, but that's another story. But when I first moved to California from Maine and people were in shock and horror that Trump had gotten elected, which had only horrified but not shocked me and everyone was saying, what can we do? I told them. I told people what I knew from living in Maine for 10 years, which is a very purple state. I told them, you must move. If you want to change people's minds, you must become their neighbors. Take 20 friends with white privilege or straight privilege or cis privilege, you don't need all three, and move to a red state. Become embedded in the culture. Meet the people who already believe as you do, they're there, and follow their leadership. They know the terrain. Work in the schools, pay the taxes, suffer the lack of resources, and revel in the natural beauty of the place where you landed. Trade snowblower tips and cups of sugar. Sit at the playground with other parents and watch your children play together. Then they will know you then they might care, then they might change. To a person, every single person I said that to said no. Everyone I said that to said, oh no, I'm not moving. And I said, then the country will continue to go this way and you do not get to complain. You cannot change them without being them. And here we are now. I hold with what I said then, those who can do so safely must redistribute the values that we hold so dear. And it is only and specifically carried in our persons, in our very presence, in our flesh and blood and breath. And if you think it cannot be done, look at our leaders who are doing it. 
I even have queer colleagues in Oklahoma and black colleagues in Tennessee, but your ministers are not here to do the work for you. Your ministers are not here to do the work for you. This is not work for hire. We are here to do the work with you. We are here to support you in doing your work. I am a lifelong Unitarian Universalist. I have never known another faith tradition. I was raised an atheist with scientific parents and came along the much less talked about path from atheism through agnosticism to a complicated theism through a series of direct experiences that are ongoing and complicated and nothing like a Christian conversion story. Just direct experience of the divine, direct experience of the mystery and wonder, nothing else could have changed my theology. But direct experience is evidence and evidence is something that my scientific world understood. But there are more mundane and equally magical direct experiences that transform us, like watching our neighbor's kid learn to ride a bike, stumbling over what to say to someone who doesn't celebrate the holidays we celebrate, explaining a thousand times that in my religion, we are less interested in what you believe about God than we are in how you live your beliefs in the world. Integrity, kindness, grace, love, putting yourself on the line. We have heroes from our own history who were reviled in their time, like Theodore Parker and Ballou and our civil rights leaders. Some of us have put ourselves on the line, but many of us don't. And so I started asking, why not? Because it, it just, I grew up here, right? I know us. Why are we not? Why are we not? What is it that moves us to risk or relinquish our own comfort or not? And how much of that comfort and why? There's some socially acceptable limits. If you say you're doing something or not doing something because you have children or for your children, almost anyone will let almost anything pass. We see in a lot of the current discourse how that can be weaponized. And if you are multiply marginalized, then you are already relinquishing comfort just to exist, probably. And yet, this entitlement to comfort, this sense that we should mostly be comfortable is an interesting thing. Our comfort in trade for what? Example, if you knew that keeping your house four degrees colder all winter would save a person's life, would you do it? It's uncomfortable, it's awkward, it's inconvenient, but it's not gonna hurt you unless you already keep your house very cold. For a year, for 10 years as a permanent lifestyle change? Forever? Would you teach your children that that was the thing to do also? Or what if it would just allow someone mobility, like give them the ability to move around freely? Would you do it? A specific person, a stranger, someone you knew? What about for a family member? What about sending your child to an adequate instead of a stellar school? What about homeschooling your child instead of sending your child to school? Or buying only three new articles of clothing a year, including underwear? I'm asking these abstracted questions because these are, these are discomforts that are just discomforts. They're not fraught. This next one is though. 
What about risking imprisonment? What about risking a felony conviction and all of the limitations for the rest of your life that that involves? What if you're on survival where it's take? How much discomfort is okay? I recently saw a short essay on Facebook by someone who accompanied his friend as he surrendered his ordination papers to the church that ordained him. And as you might guess, that kind of story strikes close to the heart for those of us who are ordained. Now the particulars are vague, but it seems likely that the person who surrendered his papers was giving up not just his position at that congregation, but the whole career, his whole ordination, his whole ability to be a minister, the whole calling. Vocation, livelihood ended just like that. Why? Not because he was queer, as I first thought, not because he was trans, because the church didn't approve of him conducting his son's wedding. He gave up his career and his call because the church did not accept his son. I can tell you, once you have a rev by your name, it is extremely difficult to get any other kind of work but he gave it up. Might he eventually transfer to a denomination that will embrace him? Sure, maybe, eventually. And his heart will be broken first, probably already is. And he will grieve first, he probably already is. And he will have to find his path to his God through the alleyway instead of through the church doors. I know this because this denomination Unitarian Universalism has similarly broken my heart, but I have chosen to stay because we profess to be better than that. And I want to believe it. I do believe it. I believe we can. I do not believe we are. But we have got to be willing to be uncomfortable more, more often in more ways. There's a chart that goes around periodically about the comfort zone, the stretch zone, and the danger zone. The comfort zone is where you're not being challenged at all. And the danger zone is where all of your systems have gone into resistance because it's too much. So the stretch zone is in between. The stretch zone is where you're a little uncomfortable, but not panicked. And that's where change and growth happen. Unfortunately, we have a tendency to reach for the comfort zone, to reach back to the comfort zone, to try to live only in the comfort zone. And the less capacity we force ourselves to use, the less capacity we have. It's good to return to the comfort zone, to replenish our capacity, to soothe our nervous systems. We know that constantly activated nervous systems are no good either. But if we stay there too long, we get too accustomed to comfort and we lose our ability to be uncomfortable in the name of growth. And then we get stuck. So it is vital to maintain a mental stretching routine. We need a practice of discomfort, of unfamiliar things, of trying stuff, that makes us uneasy, but isn't dangerous. And as you may have noticed, you're probably more willing to be uncomfortable for someone you have a relationship with. I could talk here about guns and gun culture or about anti-trans legislative horrors. I want to live, says this week's mass shooting meme, in a country that cares more about its children than it does about its guns. But the way that's going to change is by doing uncomfortable things, by us doing uncomfortable things, by us going into the nuanced and uncomfortable and challenging and difficult places. Living among hunters, as I did in Maine, helps me learn that not all guns are bad. I grew up in the suburbs of New York City. That's not hunting territory. But in Maine, 
I learned that not all guns are bad. It put me on better footing to talk about guns with people who use guns for things. Learning from indigenous teachers on TikTok, of all places, has helped me change a rigid posture to a nuanced one about lots of things, including fur, including the basic understanding that in order to have life, we must cause suffering, but also we must be willing to be uncomfortable sometimes. And then I found that same teaching in Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. We must be willing to sacrifice our own comfort for the larger whole, for growth, for care, for integrity, but in the right direction for the right things. If something makes you uncomfortable because it's morally wrong, that's worth paying attention to. If we truly believe that everyone should have liberty in the pursuit of happiness, then we must radically change our culture. We will be very uncomfortable sometimes. We must become comfortable with discomfort. It too must become our neighbor. Care for one another needs a higher priority. We don't have to pendulum swing all the way to the extreme where the group is the only thing that matters and the individual doesn't. I don't, I'm not suggesting that. But we first must care for our most vulnerable, sacrifice something to the common good, not because suffering is noble. I don't think there's any moral nobility in suffering for its own sake, but because common care is, because growth is, because rest is. And that means rest for our most vulnerable, who are most often scrambling, because being who we would like to say we are is important. And part of that, we must be able to set boundaries because that too is common care. Some things are simply not acceptable. Racism, sexism, gun violence, ableism, homophobia, heterosexism, transphobia, classism. And here's one that we do that we think we don't do, sabotage. There's a 1940s OSS manual. Now, the OSS is the precursor to the CIA. It is now freely available for download on the Homeland Security website because it's been declassified. And it talks about how to sabotage an organization. The first bunch of pages, it's a short manual. The first bunch of pages are about how to physically sabotage things. But then you get to the end. And when I read the end, <laughs> When I first read it, I was shocked because that manual describes the ways that we Unitarian Universalists are together when we are the least healthy. It sounds exactly like us. Items from that manual include, and I'm quoting, general interference with organization and production. Insist on doing everything through channels. Never permit shortcuts to be taken in order to expedite decisions. When possible, refer all matters to committee for further study and, and consideration. Attempt to make the committees as large as possible, never less than five. Bring up irrelevant issues as frequently as possible. Remember, this is a sabotage manual. Haggle over precise wordings of communications, minutes, and resolutions. Refer back to matters decided upon at the last meeting and attempt to reopen the question of the advisability of that decision. Advocate caution. Be reasonable and urge your fellow conferees to be reasonable and avoid haste, which might result in embarrassment or difficulties later on. Be worried about the propriety of any decision. Raise the question of whether such action as contemplated lies within the jurisdiction of the group or whether it might conflict with the policy of some higher echelon. In making work assignments, always sign out the unimportant jobs first. See that the important jobs are assigned to inefficient workers and poor machines. Insist on perfect work and relatively unimportant products. 
when training new workers give incomplete or misleading instructions. To lower morale and with it production, be pleasant to inefficient workers. Give them undeserved promotions, discriminate against efficient workers, complain unjustly about their work. Hold conferences when there is more critical work to be done. Spread disturbing rumors that sound like inside dope and never pass on your skill and experience to a newer, less skillful worker. Here ends the quote. What if we set boundaries about that stuff among ourselves? Setting boundaries in white supremacy culture is often very uncomfortable, but it's important. Setting boundaries in white supremacy culture, it, it's embedded in our culture not to do that, not to tell people no. UUism, for example, is terrible about letting violence rage on as debates, debates, which do harm as they happen. What would happen if we simply said, no, that's not a conversation we have here. That's not a thing we should be debating. What if we said no in our congregations, in our communities? What would happen if we simultaneously spread across the country, joining that good work that is already in progress, I promise, in every state? What would happen if we did things that we already know how to do, like listening, like making casseroles, like building complex, deep, well-rooted prairie grass communities? The truth that I know is that personal relationship and investment are what move people to risk and sacrifice. That and a sense of responsibility to and for the world's goodness. The truth that Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg tells us is that yes, we are always our brother's keeper. We are always the keeper of our beloveds unequivocally, without question, without question. Personal relationship and investment are what moves people to risk and sacrifice along with that sense of responsibility to and for the world's goodness. And that one, our faith teaches us, even and especially this rebel faith. Perhaps all we need to do is live up to our own faith's profession. Our own potential is right here. We need only be who we say we are together. Blessed be and amen.